Thanks, Sean and Paul, and kids have a great time learning about Jesus. Well, good morning. I'd have to say, to this day, I think the most uh, exciting single game sporting event that I've watched was a uh, 2013 playoff game between the hometown Baltimore Ravens and the Denver Broncos. Uh, the Ravens had a good team that year uh, going into that game, but we were heading into it as pretty significant underdogs. Uh, the game was in Denver. Uh, the Broncos had a quarterback by the name of Peyton Manning, who is widely considered one of the best quarterbacks of all time, uh, not to mention the difficulty of a team going to Denver and playing in the mile-high altitude of the city. Uh, you know, you, you struggle for breath, and it's, it's definitely an advantage uh, for the Broncos. Well, the game started. Uh, the Ravens were, were doing pretty good. It was, it was a back-and-forth kind of game, and at halftime, the score was actually tied. So, uh, you know, for us Ravens fans, okay, there was a, a little glimmer of hope. And, you know, fast forward towards the end of the game, it was really just back and forth the whole time. Uh, but the Ravens found themselves down seven points with little time left in the game, and they were quite the distance away from the end zone, which is where they needed to get uh, to try to, you know, extend the game. Well, uh, what happened next was really the stuff of uh, Baltimore sports legend uh, quarterback Joe Flacco went back to pass and, and heaved what, what was about a 60-yard bomb of a pass that somehow ended up in the hands of wide receiver Jacoby Jones, and he went in for the touchdown. The Ravens tied the game and sent the game into overtime. Well, there was more drama in overtime. There were actually two overtime periods. It was one of the longest games in football history. And somehow, in the end, the Ravens ended up winning that game in one of the more improbable uh, football games you'll ever see. Uh, incidentally, I was watching the game by myself in my apartment, and I don't think I've ever uh, fist-pumped as hard as I did um, when the, the Ravens sealed that game and won it. And so the game came to be known at some point as the mile-high miracle, uh, in large part to that improbable pass that was caught and extended the game, and, and then the, which led to the Ravens' victory. And so it was at that time when that pass was completed that the Ravens had new life and, and instantly uh, their fortunes were reversed. Well, today, uh, we look at a different kind of miracle, uh, though something extraordinary. Last week, we started our sermon series on the miracles of Christmas, looking at Mary's life and the remarkable faith that she expressed as God visited her. J.I. Packer uh, says this about miracles. He says that the word miracle in scripture, there's not a, a single word for miracle, but rather uh, it's expressed in, in three basic terms, wonder, mighty work, and sign. Packer says, wonder is the primary notion. A miracle is an observed event that triggers awareness of God's presence and power. So let us uh, turn to scripture. The passage uh, this morning uh, is found from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, and then also verses 57 through 66. 
Uh, so follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. This is God's word, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. And then over to uh, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your revelation to us, how we so desperately need to hear again the good news of your word, to hear again the good news of of Jesus, your son. And, And so we pray now that you would give us your spirit, that we may see him and behold him more deeply. Uh, ask that my words would be your words, Father. And so we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, three things that uh, I want us to see as we consider uh, the passage before us this morning. The first thing is that Zechariah is silenced. So we ask ourselves, you know, who, who was this man, Zechariah, that finds himself in this narrative that Luke tells? Well, Zechariah was a priest, uh, as the, the passage informs us. Uh, he was a priest among a rather large group of priests with many divisions that goes all the way back uh, to Old Testament times and the ways that the priests were divided and organized during that time. Uh, his wife, Elizabeth, was Uh, the daughter of a priest, so you can see a a priestly theme among this couple. Luke tells us that they were both righteous before God and blameless. Now, this doesn't mean that they were sinless. This doesn't mean that uh, they didn't need uh, the grace of God uh, to be saved, Uh, but they were people of integrity. They were people who lived faithfully for God, and that's an important detail that Luke doesn't want us to miss. We also see that they were older in age, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. Now this reality would have been very, very hard for them to deal with. After all, uh, children were seen at that time as a reward for faithfulness to God. And so one day, uh, we see that Zechariah enters the temple and he does so to burn incense. Now, this duty of burning incense uh, was a very special privilege um, for priests, and usually priests only did this once in their lifetime, and some priests never even got the chance. So this was a a big day in the career of Zechariah. Well, lo and behold, as he goes in to do this, what does Zechariah see but an angel standing next to the altar? He becomes afraid, but the angel tells him, do not fear that the Lord has heard his prayer and that a son would be born to them. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we should be such people of of constant and fervent prayer, knowing that the Lord hears the prayers of his people and answers them. According to the angel, the son would be named John, which means the Lord is gracious. The son would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we, we think last week, as, as we looked at Mary in, in a similar way, she was promised to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Through this son John, as we see in verse 17, many in Israel would turn to God and unity would be restored to broken families torn apart by the ravages of sin. Well, after the angel speaks these incredible words, Zachariah's response is a, is a question, and he, he says, how can this be? Uh, he, he and Elizabeth were, were old, and, and we think of Abraham and Sarah, right, in a, a similar situation. They were both old, and, 
when God comes to them. And we can imagine being Zechariah in that moment thinking, I'm old, my wife is old, she's well past the childbearing age. You know, how could we possibly have a baby? I like how Dale Ralph Davis speaks about it. He says, God tends to begin his finest works in the face of human hopelessness and human weakness. Not one of us here can, can, can raise our hands and say, you know, I've never had any disappointments in my life. Disappointments, you know, come in different shapes and sizes. You know, sometimes it's people who disappoint us. Sometimes it's just the circumstances of life. Sometimes it's a disappointment that lasts for a, a short season. Other times, it's a lifelong disappointment. Perhaps ironically to us, it's right in the middle of these disappointments that God does his finest work in our lives. Well, back to our story, the angel, Gabriel, then does something surprising. Uh, He tells Zachariah that because you did not believe my words, you're going to be mute for a time until the baby is born. And it is through Zechariah's muteness that God disciplines him. It's, it's a kind of rebuke. But his muteness was also a sort of, of sign, uh, an assurance, as one commentator puts it, that what was to come would take place, that the promises of God revealed would come to be. It reminds us that God often works in unconventional ways. He reveals his power and salvation in the unlikeliest of characters such as Mary and Zechariah. Now, God doesn't reveal himself in such direct ways as he does, as he did to Zechariah, to us today, but he is still working in our lives, using the circumstances we face to teach us, to grow us, to humble us, so that we can once again see our dependence on him. And that brings us to the second thing and that is Zechariah's speech is restored. If you look at verse 57, Elizabeth gives birth to a son, as was promised by God. And her neighbors and relatives had heard of the Lord's great mercy to her. God's mercy, uh, writes Joel Green, is what Jesus will identify later in the book of Luke as the primary motivation behind God's activity. Friends, it's, it's good for us to recount the Lord's mercy to us, to, to think back over our lives, to think right now in the present how God has and is being merciful to us, his, bless, his blessings, his provisions. Well, Luke tells us that it came time for this child who was born to be circumcised. And it was typical uh, during that day that uh, a son be named after his father. Um, I don't know if you've had this experience at all. I mean, if you you have children and, uh, you know, certain family members may kind of come alongside you and kind of wonder, like, you know, what are you going to name the baby? You know, maybe Uncle Bob or Aunt Joan kind of, you know, says, hey, you know, have you considered this name or... You know, maybe even for the middle name, you know, naming, naming the baby after me. Well, it's, it's sort of the same situation here. Uh, her family and friends, Elizabeth's, you know, are, are surrounding the family and 
just thinking, yeah, the baby will be named Zachariah because that's, that's usually what happens. But she says, no, he will be named John. And then in somewhat of a humorous way, they, they run to Zachariah and you know, they just can't really comprehend why they would name the baby John when there's no family history of this name. And so Zachariah, who's still mute, uh, they ask him and he asks for a writing tablet and writes the words, his name is John. Elizabeth and Zachariah chose to obey the Lord with the naming of this child over above any family customs or traditions of the time. Well, it is at that moment that Zachariah's speech is restored. God opens his mouth, looses his tongue. God does a, a miracle for Zachariah, reversing the burden that Zachariah had. And what does Zachariah do but proceeds to bless God with the very first words he's spoken for nine months. You know, imagine not being able to speak for nine months. You know, what, were your, what, were you, what would your first words be after that time? Zachariah utters a, a prophecy that praises God for the long-awaited redemption. And then the people, in their response, we see that with other miracles uh, similar to those that these neighbors responded with, with fear. Now, most commentators say that it wasn't a being scared or terrified kind of fear, but rather a, a reverent fear, a fear comprised of wonder. They talked about what they had witnessed in, in all the surrounding hill country. And those who heard these people who had witnessed, witnessed these amazing events asked, what then will this child be? We just see the, the drama that, that Luke is using in this amazing story, uh, you know, kind of a, a cliffhanger sort of device. And my wife and I were uh, watching this past week, a very captivating documentary, and uh, you know, after one of the, the episodes, it was the very end of the episode, it, it ended in such a way that you know, we both looked to each other and said, what, what's gonna happen next? So it's, it's that kind of drama that's unfolding before us. And that brings us to the third thing that I want us to see as we consider this passage and that God is the great reverser. Whenever we come to scripture, whenever we behold a dramatic narrative such as this, we should always ask the question, what is God doing? With Mary and with Zachariah and Elizabeth, though they're key characters in these amazing stories, they aren't the, the central figures of the story. John the Baptist, as he would come to be called, this promised son that was born to Zachariah and Elizabeth, as great and as unique as he was, was not the central figure of the story. John the Baptist came to preach and prepare the way for the one who would be the central figure of the story. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born of Mary. You think about that. God himself putting on human flesh, humbling himself, entering our world. That is the ultimate miracle of childbirth. And why did God send his son? 
John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, the fact of the matter is we need a miracle. Um, you know, similar to the way that Ravens fans needed a miracle in the waning moments of, of that game, and it happened. Uh, but we need a miracle in a, in a much larger way, in a spiritual kind of way. Scripture tells us that in our natural-born condition, we are in a hopeless state because of our sin, because we are sinners, condemned before a holy God, having lost fellowship with God, separated from him and destined to perish. And no amount of, of human effort, whether it's trying to do enough good things, whether it's trying to avoid enough bad things, no kind of you know, moral program, no kind of church or government program can rescue us from our desperate state. We have one hope, and it's only because God has acted in history from appearing to Adam and Eve way back in the Garden of Eden after the first sin, showing mercy to them. All through the time of the Old Testament, up through when Christ, the Son, was born. For the purpose of giving himself up to death on the cross so that you and I could have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. You know, there's some stories or there's some life stories that, that we hear about that are just, uh, you know, so amazing. Uh, the life of Louis Zamperini, who some of you might be familiar with, uh, is, is one of those, you know, larger than, than life kind of stories. In fact, a, a book was written about his life in a movie, uh, a couple of movies actually were released uh, called Unbroken. Uh, Zamperini was an Olympic distance runner, quite talented, who ran in the 1936 Berlin Olympics and was ready to run again four years later in Tokyo in the Olympics, but World War II happened, the Olympics were canceled, and instead Zamperini ended up as a pilot in the war. In 1943, he and his crew were on a flying mission to look for a missing pilot, but their plane went down over the Pacific Ocean. Zamperini and the two men who survived the crash ended up stranded on a raft for 47 days, facing constant sun, the sharks, and the ever-present danger of dying from dehydration or hunger. Amazingly, Zamperini survived, but soon was captured by Japanese soldiers and became a prisoner of war. For close to two years, he was subjected to physical and psychological torture and seemed to be the favorite target of a brutal Japanese sergeant named the Bird, who was known for fits of violent rage. Somehow, though, Zamperini survived all that and eventually was released and went back to the United States. Understandably scarred by his experiences, he found himself struggling with alcoholism, having nightmares about his war experiences, went into a deep depression, and his marriage was also in jeopardy. But in 1949, in Los Angeles, where he was living at the time, Zamperini went to one of Billy Graham's crusades at the urging of his wife, and he heard 
Graham preach. And it was through Billy Graham's sermons that, that led him to see that there was hope for his despair. And he came to place his faith in Jesus Christ and his life would never be the same after that. Restoration and healing began to take root in Zamparini's life. And he would later come to, to uh, found a camp for troubled youth and become a very well-known speaker, even extending forgiveness to these Japanese guards who made his life a living hell for two years. Well, we survey our lives and they probably don't uh, come close to the incredible experiences of Louis Zamperini, uh, but we see in, in his life, through his difficulties, through his disappointments, through his despair, a, a sense of the miraculous that took place. Ultimately, as he came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior, we see a reversal of his despair, that life did have meaning, and that there was true joy in having restored fellowship with God. What is God doing? We should be encouraged that God is the same God today. The wonderful acts that he has done in the past do have significance for us today and in the future. And we look nowhere else but the, the birth of his, his own son. Philip Yancey writes this. Some see miracles as an implausible suspension of the laws of the physical universe. Death, decay, entropy, and destruction are the true suspensions of God's laws. Miracles are the early glimpses of restoration. Friends, this amazing story of, of Zachariah and Elizabeth remind us that, that God does know what he's doing, that we can have confidence and trust in him, even when God's timing is not necessarily our own. But his timing is always best, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Let's pray.